Welcome to the HJ Talks About Abuse podcast, the podcast where we talk about sexual abuse cases in the hope that it will assist listeners in openly discussing topics which have been ignored for too long. This podcast is brought to you by the abuse team at Hugh James. We are lawyers, so we tend to speak about the legal aspects of abuse cases, but we aren't too shy to speak up about the broader issues faced by survivors of sexual abuse too. We hope that you find it interesting, but more than that, if you are a survivor of sexual abuse, we hope that you find our discussion empowering. Hello, my name is Alan Collins. I'm the partner who heads up the abuse team at Hugh James, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Danielle Vincent, Kathleen Hallisey, Hannah Hodson. Hi, Danny. Hi, Hannah. Hi, Kathleen. Hi, Hi Alan. Alan. Hi, Alan. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us with our latest podcast that's brought to you by the abuse team at Hugh James. And today we're going to be discussing sexual assault in a medical context, and in particular in operating theatres, medical staff assaulting fellow medical staff. It's been very much um, in the media very recently, and that's what we're going to be discussing. But before we get underway, I need to remind you that we are discussing sensitive and upsetting matters and issues and if you feel that you may be distressed or troubled now's the time to switch off and go and do something else otherwise please stay with us so by way of background there has been in the media a lot of coverage about sexual harassment and sexual assault being committed in a medical context and in particular by doctors surgeons assaulting harassing allegedly or otherwise colleagues and this has provoked a lot of debate and angst and concern and i know from the work that i've done over the years i have represented victims and survivors in such a a context i have represented for example a theater nurse who was sexually assaulted by a surgeon in the operating theater I've also come across cases where surgeons and doctors have sexually harassed each other in hospitals and in operating theatres. And one would think that is extraordinary. Well, it is extraordinary in my experience. You just think, well, how could such things happen? Well, what has prompted us to discuss all of this in this podcast is a letter that was published in the Times newspaper a couple of days ago. And it was a letter from a doctor, medical practitioner, who I think has possibly retired a little while back. Basically, the sort of title is, Welsh doctor tells female doctors who have faced sexual abuse they are snowflakes and to toughen up. And this has created something of a storm The letter was from a Dr. Peter Hilton, and as I said, it was published in The Times. Anyway, so that's a bit of background, and I will get one of my colleagues to explain what was actually in the letter. Thanks, Alan. So, yeah, as you've mentioned, this letter has come from a a Welsh retired 
doctor. And just to provide a bit of context, I think the reason the letter was written in the first place is because there has been a new study that's been released by the University of Exeter, University of Surrey and the Working Party on Sexual Misconduct in Surgery called Breaking the Silence. This study was looking into how female NHS surgeons, looking into the the reports of them being sexually harassed, assaulted and raped in the workplace, in hospitals, in theatre. And I think significantly it's highlighted a pattern of trainees and junior doctors being abused by more senior members of staff and surgeons. So that's a bit of the background why the letter was written in the first place. And Dr Peter Hilton has, in his letter, commented on the fact that these female surgeons who have been complaining are essentially part of a snowflake generation. He also says that the people complaining are largely female. And just some really arrogant and insulting comments that have been made in this letter. And it has provoked much outrage and fury. If you type in his name on Twitter, there was a lot of backlash about this for good reason. People are disgusted in his comments about this. Of course, the context, I suppose, is that 2023 is a very different world to perhaps 1983 and attitudes and attitudes towards behaviours is maybe very different. So not defending Dr Hilton in any shape or form. So don't think that I am. He's obviously of a particular generation. And I think he's sort of trying to make a point, if I can put it like that, that it's tough working in hospitals and it's tough and stressful and people in tough and stressful environments behave in particular ways. I think that's maybe where he's coming from. I'm not saying he's right or that he's justified in in what he's saying or that it's any kind of excuse. But I think looking at this objectively, he's sort of saying, isn't it, it's tough and people need to be tough. Let's say for argument's sake, but that's correct. You do have to be tough and it is you do need to be strong and resilient and put up with, you know, stressful situations and so on. In you know, in professional life, it sort of maybe goes with the territory. But in my, my view, does that does not in any way excuse anyone being harassed or assaulted? Things, you- I think that really bothers me with this. Maybe this is a term that I really have an issue with is the snowflake generation, because Perhaps we are a generation that we're not going to put up with the same things that people did, you know, in in the years Mm. prior. And we've talked about this a lot in regards to sexual harassment in the workplace and how perhaps secretaries were treated in the 50s, 60s, 70s, whatever. It wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't fly in in the business world now. We're talking about surgeons here that have not only just gone through COVID, but have extremely high, as you say, working pressures. They've gone through a pandemic. They are arguably always campaigning that they're underpaid. And then on top of that, we're talking about, and as you say, this is focusing on female surgeons, having to go to work and potentially not a safe environment because they, they are being sexually assaulted or treated in a different way. You know, these people are educated. They've worked very hard to be there. They're doing a public service. And I just think comments like this could prevent people coming forward. We know the difficulty in coming forward from our clients alone. And we also know from working with clients that have been sexually abused in the hospital, you know, area. I, I've had a couple of female clients this year alone who who were 
individuals seeking treatment and didn't speak out because it was a doctor it was a person of authority so when somebody of a seniority comes out and says things like this it potentially is masking the problem because you may have you know a junior female surgeon reads these comments and thinks well this is going to jeopardize my career if I say anything and it just allows this behavior to continue and obviously the main thing that one of these our podcast does is talk about campaign for change and I, I'm kind of glad that, that there's not been a backlash against him per se, because as we say, it, it's some words and his intentions behind it. We, we don't know. But I'm sorry, I totally disagree with that. I don't think that it's just he's of a generation and, and you have to be tough in this profession. He specifically says a snowflake generation who are largely female. He's not but... talking about men. He's talking about women. And I think this whole term of snowflake generation and, well, you have to be tough in the workplace and, you know, get used to it is conflating being tough with sexual harassment. Yeah. And so his comments are sexist. I don't think there's any other interpretation for them. Is he of a different generation where it was acceptable to sexually harass women at work? I'm, I'm sure he is, but that doesn't mean that it's okay. Um, right, well, that's right, isn't yeah. it? But but the question is, of course, is if this kind of thing is happening in 2023, then it begs the question of he may be of a particular generation but i think he's retired so we we ma- we must be talking about younger people if you see what i mean in the you know younger doctors so he sort of so what troubles me is is leaving the generation issue to one side that might be a bit of a red herring because if junior doctors are complaining that they're being sexually uh, harassed now in 2023 then it means that we're talking about relatively younger people carrying out the assaults and the harassment, if you see what I mean. Does that make sense? Yeah, I suppose so. But I think what we're talking about are, you know, senior male surgeons who are probably, you know, at that level are, I don't know, perhaps in their 50s, 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 60s. So I think we are talking about a different generation than, say, a young you know, trainee surgeon who perhaps is in their 30s. I was just going to say, I agree with that because, you know, this is going to be for them an industry where perhaps, you know, you strive to work under the best cardiac surgeon as a younger upcoming doctor. And there's clearly a position of power there, like a lot of our abuse cases. And this is why I have a real issue with these comments like snowflake generation, because it means that if you are a young female surgeon, you know, we've all been in roles where we've got partners or whomever that we're trying to impress and we're wanting to get ahead because we're good at what we're doing is that you have that imbalance of power that means that people still think this is okay in the in this day and age and it's really not taking that for the last sort of big case that i had all involved were of the same sort of age in brackets middle age so the the surgeon who was sexually assaulting was in his 50s i recall and the people that he was assaulting in the operating theater were probably in their 40s so there wasn't actually a huge age gap but he seemed to be seemed to have this sense of i don't know entitlement or power in order to behave like this in the operating theater and also outside the operating theater in you know in his office and this type of thing so why he thought he was able 
to behave like this was never really explained. You know, there's a criminal investigation, he was prosecuted and all the rest of it. So, you know, there was, you know, findings of guilt, but it, no one really sort of analysed as to why he thought he was able to behave like this and it wasn't him exploiting younger people as i said it was people sort of within his own sort of age group i mean i think when there's any profession that's particularly male dominated or historically has been male dominated law included and we could think of various examples of other professions where at the top because of the kind of paradigm shift in terms of gender entering that profession you are going to have males generally at the top of that profession and I think Danny's point is exactly right you're a young female who's trying to you know make your way in your career the person you're likely to be trying to impress is is probably male or often would be male in particular professions and so well there is a huge power imbalance in that situation as there would be always between a, a kind of manager or supervisor and, a, and an employee but the question then becomes is there a culture where you're required to put up with comments, harassment, so-called banter, because if you are to speak up, then you're labeled as not tough enough, part of the snowflake generation, where really what it's about is the fact that, as Danny exactly puts it, perhaps we're not a snowflake generation. What we are are people who are saying, actually, we're not going to accept this behavior anymore. And I think this whole idea of snowflake generation beyond implications for, you know, the medical profession or a legal profession is generally our attitude towards victims of sexual assault and sexual violence, which is, you know, to speak up means you've done something wrong. You're, you're to blame somehow for what's happened to you and or you're just not tough enough to put up with, you know, what the standards of, of the workplace are. Hannah, you found some statistics and going through them, I was really surprised by the high levels. So if you don't mind, I'll go through them. But so this was from the report saying breaking the silence. And it was exposing the extent of sexual misconduct by colleagues within the UK surgical workforce. So we're not here talking about abuse against individuals going for treatment, which is what we've talked about before. But there was reports of rape at work and other work-related contexts, including teaching spaces, conferences and after-work events with colleagues. There's two statistics that I thought were really interesting is 89% of female surgeons have witnessed sexual misconduct at work and 81% of male surgeons. And sexual coercion was also a prevalent issue undercovered in the research with 10.9 of female surgeons having experienced forced physical contact linked to career opportunities. So this is exactly what we've just been exploring there. Two, third, two thirds of female surgeons have been the target of sexual harassment and almost a quarter of male surgeons. So a quarter of male surgeons, yeah. which is an astonishing figure in itself. And interestingly as well, people say female surgeons and male surgeons who have come forward, they say that it's most likely to happen in the theatre room, in the operating room. Mm. which is really interesting as well is it because obviously it's such a high pressured environment it's such a restricted environment that they feel like they can get away with it more there that's shocking isn't it in those environments people are having life-saving surgeries so why is that happening in there it just doesn't make sense no it goes back to the case that I was talking about a little while ago you know so you know this surgeon was convicted but no it's, it was it's never been explained 
why he thought he was able to behave like that in surgery. My view is is a sense of power and the stressful environment of being in an operating theatre. You know, maybe those are the drivers. But getting back to that statistic, a quarter of male surgeons saying that they've been sexually harassed. You know, it's these are extraordinary figures behind these percentages of course they are real people well and also these percentages are always only going to be you know they're not going to be the true reflection because as we've always said individuals don't necessarily disclose their abuse or or what they've seen especially as we've discussed if they're in an environment where you, you know they're a junior and they're potentially wanting a successful career because let's be frank if you've trained to be a surgeon you have spent years at university you're probably in significant debt to be there and so you've got that added pressure that you know this has got to be successful for you I, I think your point Hannah regarding in the operating theatre things like that we know with sexual assault that people that it's happened to often question themselves did that happen have I overthought this you know this is a constant thing that our clients think before they disclose and I wonder whether that almost potentially opportunist attempts mean that the individual that it's happening to is questioning what's happened which is again awful you've got a professional person who's obviously in there to concentrate and do something potential life-saving surgery and they are being put into conditions where they're probably having to think how they're standing how close are they to other people horrendous well i think too like to that point danny where you know some of the data from this survey is that or, or testimonies from, from victims and survivors is that nobody said anything. I mean, if you think about it, the operating theater is it's not just two people. Yeah. There are many, many people in there. And so I think that also has a silencing effect, doesn't it? I mean, it speaks to yeah, culture, but also if it's happened and, you know, a surgeon, I think one of the testimonies I read was a surgeon was sweating and wiped his brow in between a female surgeon's breasts, not once, but twice. And nobody said anything. You know, you, I think as a victim survivor, you kind of start to question your reality because nobody has said anything like, did that really just happen? Because how could it yeah. be that something so outrageous has just happened and and nobody has said anything about it? And a separate point, you know, this kind of made me think about is what is going on in operating theaters? If you think about the patient who's sitting on the table, yeah. who's under a general exactly. anesthetic, and I appreciate it's a high pressure, high stress environment, but why then is your mind on <laughs> making lewd comments about somebody or asking questions about their sex life or, you know, rubbing up against them in a sexual manner? I mean, I think that's pretty concerning as well from kind of a victim, a patient safety rather perspective. Well, it's all rather extraordinary, which is probably an understatement, but we better bring this podcast to a close. Obviously, there are lots of legal issues arising from what we've been discussing, criminal offences being committed, and also potentially civil claims being brought by those who've been assaulted and harassed, not only against those doing the harassing and the assaulting, but potentially against their employers. So, As always, if anyone has any thoughts or questions or concerns, please do contact us at Hugh James and contact us at the abuse team in particular. If you have any thoughts or comments as regards future podcasts and suggestions in particular as to what you'd like us to discuss, please do contact us. So it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Danny and it's goodbye from Kathleen and it's goodbye from Hannah too. Bye Bye, everyone. Bye everyone. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of HJ Talks About Abuse. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to speak to us about something you've heard today, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at aboutabuse at hjtalks.co.uk.